We'll now open to Scripture, and the passage of Scripture that we are going to be looking at together is Paul's letter to the Philippians, and in relation to that, we'll be reading from his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter there. So, we'll be reading from 2 Corinthians. Firstly, we'll read a section from 2 Corinthians 8 in this part of his letter to the Corinthians, he's actually speaking about the church in Philippi when he mentions the churches in Macedonia. First and foremost, there is the church in Philippi. This is what he has to say about that church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their parts, for they gave according to their means. And Paul there is speaking about um, a collection that he was taking for the church in Jerusalem. And they gave to this according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. We'll also read a section from 2 Corinthians 9 where Paul now is talking to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth. And he says to this congregation, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction." The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God." By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them 
and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. We'll also turn to our text this afternoon, which is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians 4, verse 14 to 20. I think this is my third time preaching here, and every time it's been a hot day. It seems to be something like that. It just gets me sweating up here. So I'll come back in September or October, and hopefully we can keep this going. Philippians 4, starting at verse 14. I'd like to read from verse 10, if that's possible. Not possible? Okay. Still possible for me to read, so you can just listen carefully. Sort of important for the context. Um, what's happened is the Philippians, they've, they've given this gift to Paul, financial gift. If you can remember from our reading just before in 2 Corinthians, the Philippians, they were dirt poor. Um, what does Paul say there? Your extreme poverty and your abundance of joy has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So they were, they were extremely poor but they've, they, they've rustled together this big gift for Paul, and Paul, he comes to the end of his letter to them, and he's thanking them for this gift. So you have to listen as I read the first three verses of this. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So if you're listening to that, you can see that Paul is sort of saying, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks for your gift, it was really appreciated, but I've learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be low, I know how to face hunger, I know how to face need. I can do all this through Christ. So basically, I can do all of this as someone who rests in Christ and in every situation just seeks Christ's power and His peace in His life, just living out of the energy that Christ gives, sort of as a, as a branch in a vine, to use the imagery of the Gospel of John. I think it's John 15. Here's Paul. He's a branch, and if he's placed in a desert, it doesn't really matter because he's connected to the vine. And even if, you, even if it's a desert and it's dry and it's weary and it's a jail cell in Philippi and the Roman church isn't being very nice, it doesn't matter because Christ is continually giving him his power and his presence in that situation. So he's like, I don't need to be taken out of this situation. I don't need to be transplanted from Kelowna into the valley where it's nice and wet. I'm there with Christ and I'm there with his power. So that's what Paul is saying. Thanks for the gift, but I was okay. And then he moves on. This is our text. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, 
a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So far the word of the Lord. May he bless it in our hearing. So I'd like us to imagine that we are in church in Philippi right now with a Philippian congregation, and this letter is, is being read out to the congregation. That's what would have happened. Epaphroditus was a guy who brought it, who was a Philippian himself. He would have come in, and on Sunday, when everyone's sitting here in church, he would have read the letter that Paul had written. Reads through verse 13, and I just wonder how those Philippians would have felt. It's really hard for us to put ourselves in their shoes because, to face it, we're not, we're not really poor. Maybe the best I can get as I was driving down here, the best I could get is to imagine that we're some sort of immigrant workers, um, and this shed's on a farm, and we have some bunks in the back where we can, where we can sleep. We've got our wife and our family back in in Mexico or wherever we're from. We need every single cent that we can save up just to get us through the year till next year we can come out. Imagine that we are, that, that that's our life and that we've somehow managed to scrape together this big, generous gift for Paul. We haven't got our kids new clothes. None of us have been on a holiday. We've We've decided all together that in our sort of bunkhouse out the back there, we're not going to have breakfast, we're just going to skip that meal, we can put that money towards Paul. That's what we've done. We're sitting here and we get this letter and Paul gives this grand thank you, but no thank you. Thanks for the gift, but I didn't really need it. I think it would, it would shake us up, it would shock us a little bit, we'd, we'd wonder why we gave that gift and whether Paul actually really appreciates it. But then Paul, it's as though he realizes that what he's been saying could be interpreted in a really uh, harsh way by the Philippians. So he goes on in verse 14 and he says, says I, I can do everything through him and who strengthens me. I was okay before the, before the gift came, but he says, yet it was, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And that word kind there, it means um, honorably. You did well. You did what was right. You did what was correct. You did what was upright in giving to me financially. And he goes on and gives four reasons in our passage why it was that um, what the Philippians did was, was honorable. Why giving to churches, to missions, to corporations and organizations that work for the spread of the gospel, why that is honorable. And what's interesting is that he doesn't mention the fact that they're supplying a need, but he gives four other reasons why what they are doing is honorable. And I think they're good for us to reflect on when we think of Christian giving, because when we think of Christian giving, we think of giving for a need. But Paul gives these four other dimensions to Christian giving that we don't always reflect on as we should. And so we're going to reflect on them together as we go through this passage of Scripture this afternoon. Our theme's changed from what I submitted on Tuesday. Our theme is now four-dimensional giving, because we're going to look at those four dimensions. 
that I mentions are partnership, profit, pleasure, and provision. Four-dimensional giving. When we give financially to churches, missions, organizations, it's a partnership in the gospel. We're partners. We're getting a profit for ourselves. We're giving God pleasure, and we're also trusting in His provision. So the first thing we're going to see is that giving financially, Christian giving is a partnership. I was up at Stepping Stones. I had the privilege of being up there for a few days this past week. If you're unfamiliar with Stepping Stones, it's a Bible camp that the churches here in this federation are closely affiliated with. And I was up at Stepping Stones this week, and it turns out that everyone up at Stepping Stones needs a camp name. A few of you here would be able to yell it out to me. Anyone brave enough? Cobber. Hey, Cobber. All these kids are yelling at me. Hey, Cobber. Cobber's this Australian word that no one really knows. It basically means mate. If I was an American, I would have chosen partner or something, and everyone would be like, howdy, partner. It was Australian, so today, Cobber. Now, if Paul was on a camp in Philippi, a church camp there, he probably would have chosen the name partner. All these little Philippian kids would be running around saying, hey, partner, and their mums would be sort of flicking them over the head saying, you don't say that to the apostle. He's the apostle Paul to you. Thank you very much. But he would have called himself partner for this church because as he says in verse 16, this church had entered into a partnership with him in giving and receiving. He mentions this for the first time in chapter 1 verse 5 where he says that he thanks the Lord in all of his prayers because of their partnership in the gospel. The Philippians were partners in the gospel with Paul. And part of their gospel partnership was giving. And that's why Paul is so thankful that the Philippians are giving financially. My question for you is, when you were were giving earlier in the worship service, did it cross any of your minds that right then and there you were entering into gospel partnership? You were being a partner in the gospel. That's what we are doing when we give. Paul is using um, terminology from the world of business and commerce here. Uh, it's almost as though he's picturing the gospel as, as some sort of enterprise. This enterprise that is sort of spreading throughout the, the ancient world. It had started in Jerusalem, quickly gone national, then international. Started with 12 people, but it just grew exponentially. And soon enough, it's going to be measuring millions of people. By this time, it was measuring at least thousands of people. And Paul's saying, in this, in this gospel project, you are partners with me. And as with any partnership, you always look for a partner who has strengths that complement your own. And the Philippians were given strengths in this partnership to complement Paul's strengths. And one of the strengths that God had given the Philippians in this gospel partnership was finances. Sometimes I think we underestimate the spirituality of giving. We think, you know, this pastor up here, he's like a spiritual guy. None of you know me, so you actually think that. If you knew me, that might change a little bit. You think this pastor's a spiritual guy? 
You're giving money to missionaries. You think the missionaries are spiritual people doing spiritual work. The people down at Advocate in in downtown Langley supporting um, crisis pregnancies, they're, they're doing spiritual work and we're just giving money. We shouldn't underestimate the spirituality of our partnership when we financially give for the gospel. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, this is Romans 12, he's writing to the Romans and he's speaking about the gifts that the Holy Spirit pours out. And he goes through a, through a list of gifts here. He says, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And he lists them off, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in, in serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. So there you have this, this contributing, this, this giving to the, to, the, to the material needs of the church. It's right up there alongside, alongside prophecy, alongside teaching, alongside exhorting. It's a spiritual gift. It's an integral part of gospel ministry. And we shouldn't underestimate those who have been given this gift. I think we say, yeah, that's okay. That's sort of for the big business owners, those who who have a lot of money. I'll give a little bit, but I can't really give much. I'm sort of trying to put a deposit down on a house or I've got a busy family. We've got to remember that these Philippians were dirt poor. They literally had, had, had nothing in terms of finances. But yet, but yet... They gave to the church. And so, it's the first thing I'd like us to see when we think about giving, that when we are in the church, we are being, we're, we're part of a partnership in the gospel, and giving is an integral part of, of gospel partnership. And I think it's important that we think of, of church holistically as partnership, because in our society, everything's sort of boiled down to consumerism. Um, I give and I get something back, and often we can see church in that same way. I, I give to the church and I expect to get something back, and if I don't get that back, then I'm going to give elsewhere, somewhere where I like what they're doing, and I like the services that I'm getting, and I like the guy that's standing up the front and the way that he's talking. That's consumerism, that's not partnership. What we're doing here is partnership, gospel partnership, financial giving's a part of that, that's not all of it. Um, the Philippians with Paul, Paul won, he asked them for their prayers, another way of partner- partnering. The Philippians sent through this guy called Epaphroditus, they went down to their crew out the back there and they were like, okay, one of us is going to go to Philippi and bring this gift and you're going to minister to Paul when you're there. I know financially it makes no sense, but we'll support your family, it's okay, off you go. It's also an emotional partnering, a caring for one another. But we have to see membership of the local church as as a partnering in the gospel. And when we give, that's what we're doing. We are partnering in the gospel going out. I think these Philippians, they probably had had a choice. They didn't really have much money, so they could probably make just one investment could seek to, to, to take shares in just one thing. And as they looked at the, at the stock exchange, there was probably a really cool tech startup somewhere there that was making hoverboards, and they were like, be cool to be a part of that, I'd love to be a part of that. And 
There are probably a bunch of other companies doing a bunch of other good things if they are ethically minded. But instead, and Paul uses business language here, instead they chose to, to put their resources, they chose to partner in the gospel. We're going to invest there. It's worth investing our money right there because this is important. Hoverboards are cool, and it'll be really cool if everyone's riding them one day, but the gospel is so much more important than any hoverboard, than any, than any business development that happens here. And so we're partnering in that when we're giving, partnering in the gospel. The second thing that Paul points to in this passage, first he points to to partnering, that these Philippians, when they were giving, they were entering into partnership. But then he also points to a prophet. Paul's looking for a prophet. Now, one of the things that we all saw on the news or on, on Facebook, social media, when churches were trying to open up again, was people saying that these churches just want to open up because they want to profit. Just want to be making money again. Kind of people in the pews, kind of anyone putting money in the collection bag. These churches want to open up just so that we can get money again. And we're like, no way, that is not true. We're not here to get a profit. We're here because we want people to hear the gospel. That is ridiculous. And Paul turns around and says, no, you know what? I'm actually looking for a profit. I'll admit it. But Paul, he's not looking for a profit for himself. He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, it's really unfortunate that we're not following along in pew Bibles. Um, if you knew me, it's sort of, I just love everyone following along in pew Bibles. It's unfortunate this afternoon because there's a footnote here in front of me that you don't get to see. It's footnote number four, but it means nothing to you at all. I'll read that footnote to you because what Paul is, is saying here, he's, he's using, um, again, language from the business world. He's saying, I don't seek your gift, but I seek, and here's the footnote, I seek the profit that accrues to your accounts. Paul is looking for a profit. Now, that expression, fruit that increases to your credit, that expression in the ancient world was actually an idiom, and that's why the, the ESV gives a literal translation and then gives the other translation in the footnote. It's an idiom for profits accruing to an account. And that's what Paul is looking for when the Philippians give. He doesn't really need what they're giving him. He's fine without it, but he really wants them to give for themselves because what they're giving now is going to increase in value. It's going to give them a profit on the last day when Jesus comes. What he's, what he's saying is you guys are making an investment now. You're putting money in the bank and you're earning interest and that interest is compounding. And when Christ comes back, back again, you're going to receive a great gift from Him because of what you've given now. You're, you're making a deposit that's going to exponentially increase in interest. Some of you might be wondering about this, whether on the last day what we do on here will actually be rewarded we are um, very big, and rightly so, that salvation is by grace alone. And yet on the last day, Jesus will reward us for what we have done. And Paul knows this. And so Paul really wants these Philippians to give, and he really wants them to give sacrificially so that they will get this reward from Jesus on the last day. 
Back when I was in seminary, the, the first sermon text that I was given, it's 1 Peter 17. This is what it says. If you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear. I looked at that and I thought, I traveled halfway across the world and I thought I was coming to a Reformed seminary, not a, not a Catholic seminary here. Um, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, I thought we were, we were judged on the basis of, of Christ's merits and what he's done for us. But a professor pointed me to the fact that Paul's saying we are, we are judged according to what we have done, not judged on the basis of what we've done. We are judged on the basis of what Christ has done for us, His death for us on the cross. That's the basis for our judgment. And God declares us innocent. But on the last day, we'll come before our Father. Notice that Paul here is speaking to Christians. You'll come before your Father, and He will judge us according to our deeds. We will be judged according to what we have done. Or as Paul says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. On the last day, we'll receive what is due for what we've done. And that's what we are going to receive. And so Paul is looking at these Philippians and he's like, wow, you have given to me sacrificially. And on the last day, you're going to receive what is due for that. It's one of the most beautiful things when you think about it. Here we are wanting nothing to do with Christ. If you're anything like me and you can you can sort of map out in your mind just your, your journey of coming to Jesus and loving Him and dedicating your life for Him. You'll be able to know there was a time in your life when you really didn't care too much about Jesus. You didn't really care too much about this gospel project that was going down. Um, you just cared to make a pile right down here in this world. And you know that God has worked in your heart and He's worked powerfully in your heart and in your mind and in your soul for you to be someone who places your treasures up in heaven where Christ is. He's worked within you to be someone who wants to, to put your treasure there, not on the earth, but you, you care about the gospel and you care about it going out. And you know, you know that's all Jesus' work within you. And yet Jesus is going to reward that work that He's done within you. He's going to reward you for using the power that He works within you. It's just beautiful. It really is beautiful that, that Jesus is going to reward us for what we have done in this body. And so, Paul, he gives that second reason why giving is so important. His second reason is because he's not seeking the gift, seeking what you've given him, but he's seeking that profit that will accrue to his accounts. And Paul, he goes on, he thinks of his partnership with the Philippians, and he says, you know what, I've, I've received full payments. Again, this is another technical term from the, from the world of commerce in the ancient world. It's basically those red stamps that we have that say paid in full, stamp them on an invoice. That's what Paul's saying. You've, you've given to me, and I've got that invoice, and I've got that red stamp on there, paid in full. 
I've received full payment. I don't, need, I don't need anything more from you. You guys have given me so much. But then he, he turns around and he says, you know what, I've received this gift from Epaphroditus that you sent. I am well supplied. But then he makes it clear that when we're giving, we're not just giving to a cause, we're not just giving to a church, we're not just giving to a mission, but we're also giving to God. The Philippians weren't just giving to Paul, but they were also giving to God. So he shifts their attention from himself to God. It's another reason why giving is so important, because we're pleasing God. We're giving God pleasure. It's the third reason why Paul brings out it's important that we give, because when we give, it's a, it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You know, this phrase, it comes back in one other place in the Bible. That's in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 5 verse 1, Paul there is speaking about Christ, and he calls Christ a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And here he basically says exactly the same thing. Now, this is why I love projectors, because you can walk along and you can see which words are added. It's these two words here, acceptable and pleasing. Those words are, are added in his letter to, to the Philippians when he's speaking about how the, how the Philippians were sacrifices. So to the Ephesians, he says, Christ is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then to the Philippians, he says, you are a fragrant offering and sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And it begs the question for us, what is a a sacrifice that's not acceptable and that's not pleasing. Now, to answer that, we have to go back in the Old Testament to, to what the sacrifices were. We were up at Stepping Stones this past week, and we were looking at um, being a light of the world. Uh, and we were looking at that acronym LIGHT, L-I-G-H-T, and the first letter L there is for living sacrifices. It means to be a living sacrifice. And one really simple thing about, about sacrifices in the Old Testament is that there are two types of sacrifices. You get sacrifices for atonement, sacrifices for sin, but you also get sacrifices of thankfulness. And now a sacrifice for atonement, a sacrifice for sin, for that to be acceptable and pleasing, if you know your Old Testament, those sacrifices had to be perfect without blemish and without spot. And that was Jesus. He was that sacrifice of atonement, that sacrifice for sin, that was acceptable and pleasing without blemish and spot. He lived the perfect life and He was the perfect man. But now, there was that other type of sacrifice, a sacrifice of thankfulness. And that's the sort of sacrifice that we are to God. And for these sacrifices to be acceptable and pleasing to God, they had to come from a heart that was filled with thankfulness to God for what He's given. That was, that was what made a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing. Coming from a heart that was just filled with thanks to God. And so, if we're going to make an equation, what is, a, what is a sacrifice, what is giving that's pleasing to God, what equals pleasing to God? It's not just give equals God's pleasure. It's not give plus a lot of money equals God's pleasure, but it's quite simple. It's give plus 
thankfulness in your heart equals God is pleased. That's the equation. And so when Paul, he's writing to the Corinthians in his second letter to the Corinthians, he's writing about these Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, and he's quite worried because these Corinthians don't seem that enthusiastic to give. And now the Corinthians were a wealthy church, they could give a ton more than the Philippians, but he says that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. These Corinthians were in danger of giving a sacrifice, a big sacrifice that was not pleasing. And yet the Philippians offered a a sacrifice that was acceptable and pleasing because, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, it was their abundance of joy that led to their giving to God. And so a question for you, as you give to the church, a question for you as you give to missions, a question for you as you give to different organizations, is that coming from a place of thankfulness or a place of obligation? You know what, the bag's coming around and I know that old lady that's sitting behind me and if I don't pop something in there, she's going to say something, so I better put something in, yeah, here we go, pass it along, what do I have in my wallet? Not coming from a place of thankfulness not acceptable or pleasing. Our giving, it has to come from a heart that's filled with thanks for that great gift He's given us in Jesus Christ. And from that, we give to God. And the amount doesn't matter. If you're young and you don't really don't have much money, but you get a little bit of pocket money, $2 a week or whatever it is, giving some of that back to God to just show how thankful you are to Him is what makes God really happy. So that's the the third element of giving. Our giving is to give God pleasure. And the final aspect that Paul gives out, I mean, that Paul gives in this passage of Scripture is, is provision. This is verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul here is giving us a promise It's a promise of provision, and when we give, we have to be trusting in this promise of provision. We have to trust that God will supply every need of ours according to His riches and glory in Christ. And when you trust in this provision, it influences the amount that you give and the way that you give. You don't give thinking you've got to hold on to this this pile of money because you need that to provide for you but you can dip deeper in that bucket than you ever thought possible because you know that God provides for you. As we look at this this promise of provision, there's two things that I want to look at with you, two rules that we have to keep in mind. The first is that God is not a spare change God, and the second is that God is not a spiritual vending machine. Keep those two things in mind, and it's helpful for us when we understand God's provision for us. Firstly, God is not a spare change God. You notice in that passage of Scripture that Paul says that God will supply every need of ours according to His riches in Christ. It doesn't say out of His riches in Christ, but according to His riches in Christ. Small difference, a big implication. Just imagine that you are homeless and you're panhandling and the street somewhere in Abbotsford and some guy pulls up in a Ferrari and he slips you $50, he winds down his window and passes it to you, you'd be thankful. That guy is giving to you out of his riches. 
But then imagine this same guy comes in his Ferrari. Instead of winding down the window, he opens the door, he steps out, he gives you his car keys, he gives you his, his house keys as well, and he says, hey, Cobb, don't worry, man, it's fine, you can take my car, you can take my house, you can have it. I've got another car and I've got another house. There, that same person is giving according to his riches. Now, Father gives in that way. He sees us broke. He sees us broken. He sees us homeless, but He doesn't reach into His wallet and slip us 50 bucks. Instead, He gives us what is most precious to Him, His only Son, Jesus Christ. He gives according to His riches. He looks at what He's got, and He looks at our situation. He says, you know what? I'm going to give what is most precious to me. I'm going to give that to you. He's not a spare change God. He gives us what's precious to Him. We're not to be spare change Christians either, incidentally. We're meant to be able to give away things that we hold dear for the sake of the gospel as well. That's the first thing we have to see. Our God is not a spare change God. And this promise to give according to His riches, it's not a past promise, it's a future promise. God has given according to His riches in Christ. That's the past. This promise is for the future. God will supply every need of yours according to His riches. He's given to us abundantly in Christ Jesus, and He will continue to give to us abundantly in Christ Jesus in our needs every morning. As Paul Triff loves to say, God's mercies are new every morning, and they are abundant every morning. So God is not a spare change God. We have to remember that when we rely on His provision, we can trust in Him. He's not going to be ham-handed. Second thing we have to see is that our God is not a spiritual vending machine. That's how the prosperity gospel interprets this verse. It's actually one of their favorite verses, one that they turn to a lot in the prosperity gospel. They say, you know what? God's going to supply every need of yours, so give. If you're sick, give to God and He'll make you get better. If you're still not getting better, give some more. He'll make you get better. Still not getting better, give even more. And if you don't get better at all, then I guess you never were giving in faith. But they say there's this formula. It's like, if you give, God will give you more. It's this if-then formula, a spiritual vending machine. Now, there's something wrong with this interpretation of this passage of Scripture. Um, It really comes out when you look at another one of the passages of Scripture they turn to, which is Mark 10. I just want to go there really briefly with you. Here Jesus is saying, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive one hundredfold now in this time. And so here's the formula. You give one dollar to God, He's going to give you a hundred dollars back. You give a thousand dollars to God, He's going to give you a one hundred thousand back. The problem here is that in this passage, Jesus isn't talking about money. He's talking about brothers and sisters and mothers. He goes on to say, you'll receive 100-fold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers. I wonder how many of you would like 100 mums. I wonder how many of you kids, I mean, how many of you mums would like 100 children? Or if you've got four kids, 400 children. We're not to be taking this literally. 
that there's this equation that we can follow if we give, God will bless us in exactly the same way. Actually, in in Mark 10, uh, Paul goes on to say that we'll also receive 100-fold persecutions as well, which is certainly not what the prosperity gospel offers. We have to understand that, that when our God promises to supply every need of ours, He's not a spiritual vending machine. It's not, I'm going to give on Sunday so that He's going to heal my cancer. That's not how it works. Instead, we must simply trust that our God is a God who provides for our needs abundantly. And we have to remember for Paul what it, needs to have his, what it means to have his needs supplied. And that's where we come back to that earlier section of this passage of Scripture, verse 10 through to 13, where Paul says, you know what, right now I'm, I'm, I'm in the desert, I'm this branch in the desert, and he really is, he's in prison, the Roman Christians weren't really being nice to him, he's chained to a guard all the time, he's in a really bad place. But he says, for my needs to be supplied in that situation, it's not God taking me out of that situation, but God pouring Jesus into that situation. That's what it means for my needs to be supplied, to have Jesus poured in so that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What it means for me to to prosper is to know Jesus and His presence and His person, even in situations that are difficult. And that's the promise that God gives. He promises us that Jesus will come into our lives, and that we will be filled with His power, and that we'll have a sense of His presence, and that we'll be filled with His peace. And so that even in, in the driest of droughts, we can flourish there, because we know that we are tapped into that root, that nourishing root that will always supply. And so that's what, it, that's what Paul calls us to do here, to trust that our God is a God who provides, to trust that our God is a God who will supply our needs each day. And you see, when you can trust in God to provide, we don't have to trust that that pile of cash to provide. We hold on to this bucket and we're like, well, I need enough in there for a wake boat and a jet ski and some skis because you can do cool skiing here, and now I'm not just an Australian, I'm more Canadian, but I need enough money there, and for a bigger house as well, and I've got to keep that bucket getting fuller and fuller, because that's going to provide me with everything that I need for happiness. But when you realize that, that happiness is found when you're resting in Jesus, not in changing your circumstances, you can dip pretty deeply into that bucket, be like, I don't need that jet ski, I don't need that boat, I don't need that bigger house because I'm content in Jesus. And so that's the last thing that Paul calls us to in this passage. He calls us to trust in God and to trust in God's provision, not not as a spiritual vending machine, but also neither as a spare change God. Keep those two in mind. And so Paul closes this passage of Scripture And you notice that he sort of flips the script on on how you would probably choose to close this passage. Usually when you receive a gift, what do you do? You thank the person who gives it. But Paul, he doesn't thank the, the Philippians for the gift. He says, no, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He praises God. 
And you can understand why he's praising God for the gift that the Philippians give, because it's God who's called the Philippians into partnership in the gospel. That's the gift of grace, because it's Jesus who's going to give us a profit for something that he's called us into and worked with in us, because the Philippians are seeking to give pleasure and praise to God anyway. So now he is praising God, which is what the Philippians desired, and he's praising God because he knows that the Philippians and each and every one of us can rest in God's provision. And so, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen.